is so fabulous to be back in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm not normally here if you're uh, visiting with us this morning. I actually live in uh, Dallas, Texas. And I bring you uh, warm greetings from the uh, family of uh, brothers and sisters in the Dallas church. Uh, you know, uh, we were here, I guess, about a year ago in uh, L.A. Uh, speaking at a marriage enrichment weekend that uh, many of you were at, my wife Connie and I. But uh, we, uh, we came uh, this week to get away from the Texas heat. Boy, wasn't that great timing, Rob. Bummer. Bummer, bummer. But, uh, you know, uh, there's nothing like fall in L.A., huh? Hey, I understand you got a uh, football team since the last time we were here. We, uh, we would have glad you, gladly have sold you ours, but uh, no one asked. We do have a nice stadium, though. Great stadium. But uh, all joking aside, uh, I can't tell you how thrilling it always is to be back with uh, family. Connie and I spent uh, 20 years of our uh, ministry career here in Los Angeles, uh, 20 fabulous years. And uh, six years ago, God uprooted us and moved us to Dallas, and we're pretty excited to be there as well. But I love coming back and seeing so many old friends, uh, the Cosbergs. Uh, the uh, Lewis, uh, the uh, McCurries, wow, uh, you know, Maggie and, uh, you know, the Fuquays who we dearly love. I mean, this is just family, and uh, thank you from the bottom of our heart for this warm invitation to be back with you. I have to say this, too. Of all the uh, people we're most grateful for in the central region, and we have so many of you, uh, we're just grateful that you gave us an uh, incredible daughter-in-law. And uh, thank you for uh, leading Marie to the Lord, and uh, we uh, love adding her to our family. And while she happens to be Italian too, what more could you ask for, right? I want to talk this morning about uh, something that we've been focusing on in the, uh, in the Dallas church for the summer that we just ended. And uh, it's actually met a lot of needs and stirred a lot of people. So I'm hoping uh, that if I give you a little bit of a potpourri of some of those lessons uh, here this morning, that, uh, that it will stir your heart as well. The, uh, the uh, message is entitled, 20 Seconds, 20 Seconds of Insane Courage. And, uh, you know, I, I really believe you're going to lock into this by the time hopefully we're done here this morning to really see what God can do in your life if you'll just give him 20 seconds of insane courage. I want to talk about a story in the Old Testament that uh, I really believe uh, was one of the things we highlighted this summer that really brings to life what it means to embrace this concept. We go back in history to about 600 B.C., 600 years before the time of Christ, and there happens to be a uh, pretty powerful man on the throne of the most powerful empire of that day, Babylon, 
And his name was King Nebuchadnezzar. If you've been around the church long, you've probably heard of King Nebuchadnezzar. Following his uh, victory over Judah and Israel, Nebuchadnezzar ordered the best and the brightest of the young men of Judah to be deported to Babylon. His plan was simply this, to train them for three years in Babylon, and then to give many of them a position in his royal court. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were among those to be trained and selected. The three years of training in Babylon were really an attempt to brainwash these Jewish men and their, uh, their, their cultures into taking on the Babylonian concepts and ideals. Even the names of those three men had been changed. Those were not their Jewish names. And God certainly was with these three men. And the Babylonians, man, they, they could indoctrinate pretty good, and they could change a lot of things. But of all the things they could change, they could not change the heart of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's not too long after their three years of training ends, and they're given positions in the royal court, that they have a test that comes upon them that we could only dread to imagine would ever come upon us. The test was simply to disobey their God and live, or obey their God and die. Not two great options, I think we would agree. And we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3 as we look at what it really means to embrace 20 seconds, just 20 seconds of insane courage. In verse 1 it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Can you imagine a gold statue 90 feet high? Can you even begin to imagine the sun hitting that statue? And how intimidating that might be. When you drive from Dallas down to Houston... And we did it just two weeks ago. There's a a statue that must be, I'm going to guess, about 50 feet high, right along the freeway of Sam Houston. It's a huge white statue. We were driving with some of our uh, staff in the car two weeks ago, and we drove by it, and Connie saw it, and she goes, What is that doing here? And we simply answered, It's Texas. No further explanation needed. But there was this uh, imposing, imposing statue that they were called to bow down to. 
In verse 4 of Daniel 3, it says, Then a Herod shouted out, People of all races and nations and language, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of a horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar. Worship his gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Nothing like free worship. (laughs) Worship from the heart. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as you probably may be familiar with, they refuse. They refuse to bow down. Can you imagine everybody at a certain time of day when the music goes off, falling to their knees, bowing down, and if anybody looks around, there's three Jewish boys standing when everybody else is prostate. And then we see that they're eventually, eventually ratted out. And King Nebuchadnezzar hears about it, becomes incredibly angry. And in verse 15 it says, I will give you one more chance, he says to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound Of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have their 20 seconds, my friends, of insane courage. When they say this in verse 16, they replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never, never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Now, I will tell you, I timed it out. It took me exactly 20 seconds to read that. How convenient. That was their 20 seconds of absolute insane courage. You see, they just simply decided right there who they were going to take a stand for. They decided right there that they wouldn't bend, they wouldn't bow, and for that matter, they wouldn't burn because God was able you know, uh, I, uh, I think it's fascinating to look at the Scriptures and think about people in the Bible who had 20 seconds where they mustered up just enough courage to take their leap of faith. I think about things like a fisherman, a fisherman named Peter, 
who took approximately 20 seconds just to get out of the boat when he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And he gets out of the boat and he's walking. Folks, he's walking in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. You know, 20 seconds I put before you is about how long it took a young teenager. I think I'm looking at some on the front row here. Boy, I hope that's not the singles ministry or I've just insulted them. They seem cool, so I think I'm okay. That was my 20 seconds of insane courage right there. But I think about a young teenager named Goliath. Uh, not Goliath, a young teenager named David who went up against Goliath. Another imposing figure. And, uh, you know, it took about 20 seconds for him to run up to that giant and say, enough with the God of Israel being defiled. I think about uh, the man who climbed a sycamore tree, who made the decision to get up that tree. It probably took him about 20 seconds to make that decision and get perched in that branch. And the rest, as they say, is history. You know, that's about how long it took for a woman to reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment, just believing if she could do that, her hemorrhaging would stop. Or that's about how long it took for two blind men to cry out and keep crying out as they heard Jesus passing by, Son of David, have mercy on us. You know, 20 seconds, I might also add, on the other hand, is about how long it took the rich young ruler to walk away and to have his face fall. Sad. 20 seconds is about how long I put before you it took for Judas to plant that kiss on Jesus in the garden. You know, I, uh, I look at my spiritual life. I've been a disciple now for about 40 years. Oh, that's not that long. <laughs> you haven't had a football team for 50 years. What are you, uh, what are you saying? <laughs> you know, 20 seconds is about how long it took a young college student, I say young now, 20 years of age, and Marty may remember this, to come back from Catholic Mass... Hungry, knowing that down in the cafeteria we were having, as we would call them, hockey pucks, leftover hamburgers from the Thursday night before. And when I heard from my uh, floor mates, that's what they were serving, and my roommate said, hey, my church is having a potluck, why don't you come? My first reaction was, well, I didn't go to church with you this morning. Nice of you to come back to get me, but I can't go. He said, no one will care. Come. And I said, okay, I'm in. And little did I know when I went to that uh, potluck after their service that morning, I would be invited back for a Sunday night service. Man, who would have thought they would have had a Sunday night service? Who has Sunday night church? And when I uh, got shamed into going back that Sunday night, 
I saw something in the singing, in the fellowship, in the preaching that changed my life. And six weeks later, I gave my life to the Lord. All that because of 20 seconds of insane hunger. I mean courage. You know, 20 seconds is about how long it took me to get up the courage to ask Connie Hill out for the first time. I remember being a little intimidating to ask her out on a date, thinking she could say no. But the rest has been a wonderful marriage of some 37 years. And boy, am I glad I had 20 seconds of courage. You know, that's about how long it took me to knock on a door as a two-month-old Christian. Do you know how intimidating that is to be two months old in the Lord and be in your residence hall and be knocking on doors, inviting them to come to a soul talk? I remember knocking on one of my first doors, and a young hippie was behind that door named Steve Sandin. First guy ever got out to Bible talk. He was a character. His fantasy art was all over the room that he had drawn. And uh, he said, well, i got nothing going this Thursday. Sure, I'll come. And uh, if you go to Minneapolis today, he's the evangelist in the Minneapolis church. But man, did it take 20 seconds of courage for me to knock on that door. I think, uh, you know, 20 seconds of insane courage is about how long it recently took my wife after her mom came out of a coma, and she was talking to her, saying, Mom, how are you doing? And her mom says, Oh, I'm doing so much better. And she said, No, Mom, I mean, how are you doing spiritually? We almost lost you. And her mom, after... 30-some years of our prayers answered back and said, You know, I'm wondering that myself. Can you help me? And three years ago, we were able to baptize her 83-year-old mother and father into Christ. And a few weeks ago, we were at Sunday morning service with them on the front row. And I looked over, and Connie's dad was singing, and I thought, This is like a dream. But her heart was beating when she went there yet again with her mom after decades, decades of uninterest. And I just got to tell you guys, I'm just trying to get you to see it doesn't take Herculean faith or some kind of supernatural courage To do great things in your life right now. To get unstuck spiritually right now. To get out of the doldrums and say, wow, what does God want to do with the rest of my life? What does He want to do in the second quarter? Or some of us, the third quarter? Or dare I say, a number of us, even in the fourth quarter of our life. You know, as I look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego this morning, let me just leave you with a couple sticky points. The first one is simply this. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. 
Courage is, I'm convinced, fear, but fear that has said its prayers. Nelson Mandela said, courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. When I look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I realize that they were people just like you and I. Man, they were young men who had hopes. They had dreams. They wanted to live. They didn't want to die. They were faced with a difficult choice. Bow down to an image and be burned alive or stand up for God. And I think I got that backwards, didn't I? Yeah, I was out partying too late last night with Etta. Etta told me she was out partying last night, late. Man, I appreciate that. But I'm telling you, they, they, they wanted to live. And, and here's a question for you to think about. What would you do, really? What would you do in that situation? Man, I got thinking about that as I was thinking about getting 20 seconds of insane courage in my life. And I thought, you know, if I was in their place, I would probably try to rationalize why it wouldn't be so bad to bow down to that image. I will bow down, but not actually worship the image. Or I will worship this one time and... Boy, then I'll ask God for forgiveness. Or this is a foreign land I could rationalize. God will excuse me for following the customs of this land. You know, my ancestors set up idols in God's own temple. This isn't half as bad as that. You know, isn't it amazing how you can always feel pretty good about where you're at right now Spiritually, if you just look down that long row, you're going to find somebody that's going to make you feel, okay, I'm not as bad as that. (laughs) I know how you Californians think. I was here 20 years. Come on. You know, you think things like, and you rationalize, well, everyone else is doing it. And they certainly were. Or uh, here's, here's my clincher right here, okay? This, this is a Mark Mancini rationale right here. Well, if I get myself killed and a pagan takes my position, he won't be as kind to my people in exile. Isn't it amazing how we can stay where we are by rationalizing? You know, courage, I am telling you, is fear. But it's fear that has said its prayers. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were truly great men of prayer and conviction. And then the second and final sticky thought that I want to give you this morning is, is this really interesting thought. And i got to tell you, I, I have such deep convictions about this one because the longer that I live, the more I see this is true in my life and those that live around me as they age. God often chooses to deliver us in the furnace, not from the furnace. 
God often chooses to deliver us right there in the furnace. He often doesn't choose to deliver us from the furnaces of life. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, Nebuchadnezzar was so, so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Man, he is ticked off, guys. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the men in. Wow. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego securely tied while they fell into the roaring flames. You see, let me just embrace upon your thought again. God decided to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, not from the furnace. You know, think about it this way, friends. Honestly, think about it this way. When was the last time you heard someone say, Man, I grew close to God when my life was free from pain and suffering? (laughs) Ease does not equal growth. You know, I love how the church... Our church responds to the furnaces in people's lives. You know, I find it so interesting that in the church, our first response when we hear someone is going through a really, really hard time in life, we just had an incredibly, incredibly dear sister up in the north region of L.A., in our former sector, the Santa Clarita sector, Uh, Lose her husband on Wednesday. He was the Ventura County firefighter that was actually killed in the uh, rollover of the uh, water truck going up to Vandenberg Air Force Base to fight the fire. I got to tell you, when I got that text Wednesday morning from my son David, I couldn't believe it. I had the News, cable news on later that afternoon when I was working at my desk on some office stuff. And it even made the national news. And they had a picture of this woman's husband, our sister's husband, right up there on national news. And I'll tell you, when, when I think of situations as tragic, as gut-checking as that, you know, the church's first response is to often pray... Lord, take this situation away if it's reversible. You know, if someone has cancer, and I've had cancer in my life, you know, the church's response is, Lord, heal him of his cancer. And you know, I don't want to discourage people from praying that prayer. That's a great prayer. 
But I think perhaps first on the list of prayers in a situation like that is, Lord, help him to learn what you want him to learn through this suffering. Because you see, great growth comes from being in the furnace, not being kept out of the furnace. You know, I believe it's why the Apostle Paul in Philippians would write to us in the book of Philippians that he truly wanted to know Christ. I mean, come on, church. Shouldn't that be our heart? Shouldn't that be our passion? We want to know Christ? And he goes on to say in Philippians 3, to share in his sufferings and become like him in his death and the hope that I myself will be raised from death to life. Man, I want to know about the power of Christ. I want to know about the love of Christ. I want to know about the, the uh, self-control of Christ. But it's rare that I will find myself praying, I want to know about the sufferings of Christ. Put me in that furnace, God, so that I too can be raised up, stronger, refined, better than I am. You know, I think we've got a real common misconception about suffering today. Suffering doesn't take us out of the game. Rather, suffering can actually put us into the game. Nothing turns us to God quite like suffering does. You know, as I went through my battle with cancer, I I just started to make a list as I was coming to terms with a deeper need for gratitude in my life of what, uh, what suffering can refine in me if I'll embrace it. And here are just a few of the things that I wrote down. Suffering... Well, it purges the sin from our life. It can strengthen our commitment to God, and it certainly has in my life. It can force us to force us to depend on His grace. Man, in our own strength, we don't see the need to humble out and, and, and walk and embrace the grace of God. It can bind us, and boy, has it bound me together with other believers. It produces discernment. It fosters sensitivity. It imparts deeper wisdom. It strengthens our character. It causes us to know Christ much better. It makes us long for the truth. Man, you get into the Scriptures and you search it out. You try to dig for your faith. You fight for your faith. It teaches us to be grateful. You know, one of the things I learned in my suffering and in my sickness is that, you know, the problems that I have today are first world problems. You know, my problem is, am I going to get a second opinion or should I go ahead and get the third opinion? Am I going to go to a top cancer research hospital and am I just going to settle for the awesome one down the street? Oh, I need to have radiation? Well, 
Am I going to go to Joe's Radiation Shack or am I going to go to the one that has the, uh, you know, $25 million machine that's precise? You know, Connie and I now so often when we are tempted, and boy, can we be tempted as we age to grumble or to complain. We just, one of us, usually will look at the other one and say, you know what? First world problems, right? And if you've traveled much of the world, as I know the Fuquays have and the Luas have and so many others of you have, the McCurries have, you're going you're gonna to really deeper, more deeply understand how blessed we are in uh, the life that we have. But suffering, my point is, it teaches gratitude. It increases our faith. And you know what it does most importantly, guys? It reminds us that this world is not is not our home. Connie and I were sitting on beach chairs at Laguna Beach yesterday. Man, can you get lulled into thinking you're in heaven? Especially when it's hitting a hundred in the valleys. And uh, I need things in my life to remind me not to get too comfortable here, not to get too cozy to remind me that this is just the opening act of eternity. This is a dry run for where I'm going to spend really all of eternity. And this world is not my home. In Isaiah 48, verse 10, God says, I have refined you, but not as silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the furnace of Suffering. Are you refined in the furnace of suffering? You know, we know the rest of the story, many of us. After the 20 seconds of insane courage, the guards, the strongest men in the army, throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. It's so hot, they die on the scene. Throwing them in. The king, suddenly in verse 24 of Daniel 3 it records, jumps up, jumps up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth, well, he looks like a god. There's been great debate on who the fourth person was. Some say it was an angel. Others say... It was Jesus Christ Himself, the Son of God. It really doesn't matter. What matters is, Jesus is saying to each of us today, what He said to them, I'll meet you in the furnace. Having a hard time getting close to Jesus? 
struggling a little bit in dullness in your spiritual life? Maybe you just need to step out on 20 seconds of insane courage, find yourself in a hotter place, and realize that God says, I'll meet you, but I'm going to meet you in the furnace of life. You see, the bottom line is this. I think one of the greatest challenges we have in the church today is that we have made God in our image. You know, that's what I've come to conclude. We've got it backwards. You know, the Bible says we're made in God's image. But I think if we're not careful, the longer that we live and the more of life we experience, the more that we want to make God in our image And the problem with that, whenever we do that, hear me on this, our God is always too small. That's why we lack the courage. It's because we have an improper view of God. Man, I love Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego's attitude. Hey, we're not going to bow down, your majesty. They were respectful, but they said we will never bow down. And our God, He's able to rescue us. But even if He doesn't, you know, a lot more of us need to have an even if He doesn't faith. You know, I'm going to be faithful to God even if He doesn't heal completely my cancer. I mean, really? Am I going to abandon God now? I mean, There are people who think that way. I'm going to be faithful to God even if my spouse doesn't repent and turn away from adultery. I'm going to be faithful to God even if one or more of my children refuse. To repent and be a disciple. You see, I made a decision when I made Jesus Lord of my life that I was going to get my butt to heaven even if no one else wanted to go. That's a Marty Fuquism there. (laughs) Threw that in for Marty. But, But I'm going to get myself to heaven even if nobody else wants to go. Now the truth is a lot of people want to go. But I'm not going to be on the roller coaster of I'm down now because my parents are disciples or I'm up now because uh you know my 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 spouse is acting more godly or and you get the idea. You get the idea. You see our God for most of us can be too small. And let me let me close by giving you some ways that you know your God is too small. Here's some ways. If your God's job description reads, make my life more comfortable and convenient, then your God, I'm telling you right now, is far too small. If your God says things to you like, well, don't take risk. Play it safe. 
Stay close to shore. Man, then your God is way too small. If your God's job description is to obey you and do what you want when you want to do it, if your God is a genie that exists to grant your wishes and make your life easier, then I'm here to tell you this morning, your God is not a Texas-sized God. Your God is too small. If your God, on the other hand, operates on your timetable, if you keep God's calendar for Him, then I'm here to tell you your God is too small. Do you know that if your God, your God loves Americans more than He loves Iranians, if your God is always saying come, but never saying go, then your God is too small. If your God never wrecks havoc in your schedule or messes up your plans, if your God never asks you to do something that isn't in the budget, if your God, here's a good one, needs a certain president to be in office to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in this nation and in this world, then I'm here to tell you this morning some good news. Your God is way, way too small. If your God's dream for you is to retire and to spend a couple of decades taking life easy. We just had an elder retire at age 70 from the payroll of the Dallas church. Marty was asking me this morning, what's it like? And I said, well, honestly, I haven't seen anything change other than they don't get a paycheck. And if your God's dream for you is to retire and spend a couple of decades taking life easy, then come on, guys. Where's the Caleb spirit in here? Your God is way, way too small. And finally, if your God is, is just fine, I mean just fine, spending an hour and a half with you each week in church, not expecting you to open your Bible daily, not expecting you to encourage one another daily, not expecting you to proclaim His Word daily, then boy, please understand, you've made God in your image. And your God is far too small. Man, if your God looks at your sin of lust, your sin of gossip, your sin of greed, and says, well, it's, it's no big deal. Everyone in Southern California struggles with this. You're better than most people. Then I just want you to know with all humility here, your God is too small. And if your God says your marriage is just too messed up, your family right now is too fractured, you're too old. 
You're too young. You're too broken. You're too shy. You lack talent. You don't have a spouse. Or adequate leadership. Forgive me, guys. Then your God, your God, is too small. We need to open our eyes to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We need to ask ourselves, what is it right now that God, the Holy Spirit through us, is spurring us on to do? Maybe He's calling you to pick up the phone right now and mend a broken relationship. Your 20 seconds of insane courage. Maybe He's prompting you to speak an encouraging word to someone who's outside of your comfort zone. You know, that neighbor right next door that you need to find out where they go to church or if they go to church. Maybe He's nudging you to open up about a sin that is crouching right now at your door. That takes 20 seconds of insane courage, but in 20 seconds you can get it out. Maybe He's telling you to say no to a few comments that will enable you to spend more time, a few commitments rather, that will enable you to spend some more time with your family. Maybe He's calling you to trust Him about your finances and give more sacrificially. Maybe He's telling you to use that spiritual gift you know you have, but you've been afraid to use. Man, the list could go on and on and on. The point is, any act of change, any act of bravery, simply requires nothing more than 20 seconds of insane courage. And the rest, as they say, can be history. At this time, we have an amazing opportunity to reflect on what the Holy Spirit has put on our heart from this message as we examine ourselves and embrace our cherished time of communing as the family of God. Take a moment here before you pray to reflect and say, Okay, here is my commitment move. Here is my call to embrace this 20 seconds of insane courage. And uh, I look forward to hearing the stories of changed lives because people like Jesus stepped out on faith and embraced the furnace in their life. Let us pray. Father, what a joy it is to be family and to know that your blood has bought this family. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here and what they mean to Connie and I and so many others across the world. Thank you for the great example of the L.A. Church, but help it to be a church in the years and the months ahead to be a church who truly sees how great you are.